Alright guys, welcome back. Another episode of STC Fit Learning. Uh, a big episode for Jason yeah. and I. Fair to say we're fangirling a little bit uh, <laughs> at today. Um, so we've got Ben B. Pak Pakulski uh, tuning in from Tampa at the moment. I, I assume I am, yep. in Tampa, yeah. Um, so I guess maybe some background for you, Ben. I don't know how deep uh, you know the story. I did mention yeah. it in our chats, but... Um, so Jason and I did the MI40 and Hypertrophy Max back in 2012, 2011 maybe. Yeah. Um, and it was basically, I guess, the crux of getting us to where we are now. So before that, wow. it was kind of like outside of the gym, we just kind of took care of ourselves yep. within a Good Life Health Club and yep. did what we knew and did what we knew well. But um, get, yeah, getting hold of that Hypertrophy Max that 12 month program with the videos and all that kind of stuff that was like okay so there's actually some science to this shit you know just have yeah. to listen to the biggest guy in the gym <laughs> yeah. and um just kind of fluff yeah. your way through so um i guess thank you for for yeah. putting us on that road and oh man my pleasure and thank you both i mean that's that's a pretty uh high honor so thank you and i'm glad i could be a, a part of your journey of course so uh i guess maybe for i hope most of our listeners know who Ben is, but yeah. uh, maybe those that don't, uh, obviously you're kind of known in two different circles for two different reasons, I guess. Um, so obviously the IFBB pro career, um, second at Arnold's and a few other uh, namely kind of events. So maybe just tell us a little bit about like your bodybuilding career and how sure, that all man. went. Um, sure, yeah. Um, you know, as a young child, I grew up in a family of overweight alcoholics and uh, kind of the antithesis of the fit family and uh, as young as a, as a seven-year-old kid I remember just kind of say, saying that I didn't want to be like that and um, so you know fast forward I, I found myself um, you know, a very fearful young young child a young boy um, and bodybuilding was a really great outlet for me to um, you know build this strong external armor that uh, gave me the appearance of being the strong guy and um, I, I love training, man. I developed a massive uh, obsession with training. You know, I was absolutely obsessed with becoming a world-class bodybuilder. You know, from the minute I started, um, you know, I saw some pictures. You know, when, to be honest, when I started, I thought it was disgusting. I was like, I never want to look like that. But it's this progressive desensitization, I guess. And, and you know, eventually, when I just when I decided to become a pro. Um, there was nothing that was going to stand in my way. You know, I was absolutely driven and obsessed and, and uh, neurotic about my life. And, uh, you know, it managed to take my career to, you know, ultimately being one of the top 10 bodybuilders in the world that, that uh, you know, for a couple of years there. And, um, you know, highest placing being second at the Arnold Classic. I got uh, second, I got fourth twice. Uh, I did the Olympia a couple of times, which was great. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a life dream, uh, seeing a lot of my uh, mentors, step on that stage and then um, I ended up having children and children changed my life and made me realize that it's no longer okay to be selfish and it's no longer okay to uh, put yourself first as much um, bodybuilding obviously to be the best in, in the world that anything requires complete focus and selfishness so and nothing wrong with that but just for me at the point when my, my children were born I realized it just couldn't happen anymore so uh, I just decided to step away man and I still love it and some days I miss it and I certainly miss the regiment and the focus and, and that drive for that to be number one um but now i'm so focused on new things and i love um i love what i'm doing now and i love how i can now apply the focus i had before on all these new projects i'm working on yeah that's yeah that's um i think that's kind of communicated in the 
the last DVD that you released, um, I think it was the last time you were out of Olympia and it was kind of like, yep. for me to, to go to the next step now, and you, yep. see, you see there's the vision of you playing with your son, I think, and it's like, yeah, he's, uh, this might be the yeah, last time you see Benny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I made that decision. You know, it's funny how my, my career worked out. Like, I kind of planned it all out in my mind when I was 17 years old. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to win my pro card by the time I'm 25. I got it just after I was 20, just turned 26. Uh, and then I'm like, I'm going to retire by the time I'm 35. And I did. Um, so I kind of had all those things planned out. I, it didn't quite go the way I planned. You know, I planned on winning a few Olympias in there, but didn't quite yeah. get to that point. Um, but man, as soon as I had my kids, um, I just knew I just couldn't be the same man anymore. If you guys, I don't know if you guys have kids, but uh, it just changes who you are. I, I was a very driven, um, very driven, very focused guy, and I just couldn't be the same human anymore. You know, I didn't have that killer instinct anymore. I didn't have that uh, internal need anymore. You know, ultimately, bodybuilding for me filled the need, as it does for most people, right? And they don't even realize it's it's you compensating for something. It's you it's you trying to um, overcome something that you think you lack inside. And um, as soon as I, you know, had kids, I just couldn't be the same man anymore that I needed to be to be the best in the world. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the the last show uh, when you came to Australia for the Arnold's, um, mm -hmm. and it was like noticeable from the year before. Waste had come in, back was finally starting to come up, which is probably like publicly what the, the knock was a little bit was the back needed. To come yeah, up. for sure. And it's like oh, he's almost yeah. there, and then it was like oh, he's done. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, that, that was the blessing and the curse of my life, right? And that's kind of always the irony of life is sometimes your greatest blessing is your biggest curse and vice versa. Um, so I was always known, as you say, for having a back that wasn't quite developed. And um, I started off in bodybuilding like everybody else, just working my ass off, you know, because your role models are such that and the, the previous bodybuilders, and they're just saying, as long as you work hard, you can build muscle. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can work hard. I can work as hard as anybody. I'm never going to let someone outwork me. And that was my, my credo, you know, like I was known as, as the hardest working guy. If you can work me, I'm going to crush you. Like, there's no question. I'll find a way. I'll find a weak, a weak point and I'll exploit it. Um, and all I ended up getting was, was injuries. You know, I kept hurting my, my elbows. I kept hurting my shoulders. Um, and I just, I just started thinking, well, maybe I don't have the genetics to build the back. Cause that's what you hear, right? Like, oh, I have a bad, my bad, my back is bad genetically. But, I, you know, I was a pretty obsessed guy, pretty persistent, and I wouldn't accept that. I had a pretty extensive biomechanics background, um, but none of my teaching in university had ever told me, like, uh, how muscles, how to, how to take what you know about muscles and apply it to training, ultimately, how to apply it to training, to challenging muscles, you know. So um, everything in exercise is very... Uh, movement-centric or very exercise-centric. It's not muscle-centric, right? So when you start realizing that, um, you know, there there may be an intelligent way to do this, I started, that really kind of caught my attention. And I was like, oh, you know, someone once said to me, if you can build any muscle, you can build them all. Yeah. And that that clicked in my mind. And I was like, oh, okay. So now there's, there's actually a right and a wrong way to do this stuff. It's not just arbitrarily lifting more weight and working harder, like I was always told. Uh, and man, I got really strong. You know, I was doing 500 pound bent rows with perfect form to an outsider and not ever building my back. I did 750 pound deadlifts for reps. I never built my back. So I just kind of started to pass off the, the ownership and say, oh, I can't do it. And the reality was, no, you just weren't doing it correctly. And that was kind of, you know, at the time I thought it was the worst thing in the world. I was down on myself for not being able to build my back or my quote unquote genetic weakness. Um, but, you know, moving forward and being my greatest blessing because it allowed me to discover the reality that you can build any muscle. You just have to learn how to do it correctly and just yeah. become kind of what I what I do now. Yeah. And that um, 
that kind of genetic strong versus weak points do you find like with yourself and obviously with the people you've seen and worked with and in your experience is it mostly due to just like biomechanics of the individual like lever lengths and that kind of stuff right yeah it's all biomechanics right you pick up a weight i pick up a weight we, our body does differently you know I, i'm five foot ten and my body folds really really well into squats and deadlifts and i have a really big rib cage which bodes very well for chest and shoulder development but very poorly for back development unless you know what you're doing right so I didn't know how to manipulate exercise. I just did the typical exercises. You know, they did heavy bent rows. I did heavy deadlifts. I did heavy one arm dumbbell rows. And I was like, why isn't my back growing? You know, um, you just learn to manipulate uh, and and to just to direct the tension where you want it to go, rather than where your body wants it to go. Right? I had tremendous rear delts because all my rowing was done with you know, rear delts because I didn't know how to use my lat. Yeah. And once I discovered, like, hey, this is the function of the lat. This is what the lat does, and this is how we challenge it. You know, it's like somebody turned a light bulb on, all of a sudden things started to respond and grow. And all of a sudden I actually had felt like I was in absolute control of my ability to build muscle. Uh, and I was. And then, like, like you say, it was time to, to let it go. Yeah. 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 Bad timing. Yeah. So I do want to, we do want to dive heaps into the training stuff. But before maybe we head there, maybe just an overview of like, so we came across you um, with the hypertrophy max program mm -hmm. first um but i believe mi40 was out earlier we just hadn't kind of mm -hmm. found it yet yeah so how have you progressed um from like those online programs to mi40 nation and the gym what's sure. your like career been like your path there so yeah. i know you were once in the gym doing sessions as well yeah i mean i mean i started at 17 years old as a personal trainer um, you know, when I started training, I was, I was obsessed from day one. So, you know, I was 15 years old, I was 155 pounds and I went from 150 to 230 in about 18 months because I, all I did was eat, sleep and train, um, you know, maybe a lot of genetic component as well. But I went from a long distance runner and a vegetarian to training twice a day and eating all the meat I could get my hands on. Like, so I put on, <laughs> put on, on weight really quickly. Um, so I've been training clients since I was very young, but uh, speaking of my online kind of premise, uh, business, my online um, presence, um, it started in 2011, literally out of necessity because my girlfriend at the time, no, she's now my wife, said, hey, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, I guess I can't be dependent on this bodybuilding thing anymore. You know, you realize with bodybuilding, you're only as good as your last placing. And if some sponsor gets pissed off and they don't want to pay you, you're kind of at their disposal. So uh, I just kind of started um creating a business because uh, I was like, well, I'm having a child, I'm having my, my son, and uh, I need to be able to be a man and take, take care of this little human, you know? So uh, that's how it started, man. And I was very lucky to have Vince Delmani in my life, who you guys know, and Vince at the time had an online business teaching people how to exercise. And I was teaching Vince. So I was like, well, and Vince said to me, he's like, dude, you have something special here. Like you do this so much better than everybody else. Anyone they've ever seen, you need to teach this stuff. I was like, okay, cool. So I sat down and I wrote a, you know, being the obsessed neurotic person I am, I sat down and wrote down uh, 225 pages of content um, <laughs> for this book. Yeah, so that took me better part of um, better part of like eight to ten weeks. Uh, wrote effectively wrote a book and you know shot a bunch of content, a bunch of video content, and then put it out and we did very well. Um, you know, better than what I've expected. Um, and then, you know, everyone's like, well, what's next? And I was going to come out with a different name. Like MI40 was, was you know, originally meant to just be a single one-off program. Uh, and then I was, so the next program was coming out. I was looking for this other name. I was like, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and then Vince and I came down with Hypertrophy Max, which was uh, kind of a spinoff of, of MI40 Foundation. 
Um, and that did very, very well. And, and that's kind of, by that point, we kind of had this great momentum and everybody's like, man, you have a brand, like you have this MI40 brand, you need to continue with the brand. So it just kind of happened organically. It wasn't something I planned on doing and uh, yeah, evolved from there, man. We've done kind of new programs every year uh, just to kind of fit different needs in the market. And, and even the MI40 Foundation I wrote in 2011 has been changed and updated many times to kind of fit my evolution of, of my learning and, um, you know, fit different market segments to, to help people build muscle in an intelligent way. That's ultimately what we do. And so now we've opened a gym in Tampa. My wife is, is uh, American. So um, we opened a gym here in Tampa to ultimately just kind of allow trainers like yourselves from around the world to come and learn from us and average people come and learn just ultimately how to um, train for your body. Right. And that's the missing piece that people miss is like, everyone's so focused on sets and reps and load and volume. And I say this a lot, but, all those things are very important when it comes to exercise, but they can only matter if you can first qu quantify the type of stimulus you're doing, right? Like I have to make sure that the training I'm doing is actually effectively stimulating the muscle I'm trying to train. Otherwise you're wasting your time. So manipulating sets and reps is a waste of time until you first mastered execution for your body. And that's ultimately where I kind of fit into this market segment is, you know, I'm going to teach you how to build your best body from the from the foundation from the base up and then what you do after that is just going to work better you know you can go do anyone's program after you've done what we do and it's just going to work 10 times better yeah and i we can definitely attest to to that and even just the the lessons and the eye that we've got now yeah i think the attention to detail like you know as a trainer like you know you, you see some people like count reps and some people like watching the tv and some people like looking at their phone and just like, not that that was what I was doing before, you know, we got opened up to um, the, the MI40 and stuff, but it was just like, there's so many things that can, that people aren't looking at when someone is actually moving under load. And it was just like, opened up my, like, I just look at so many different things now and have for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, it's, just, right. it's a game, I'd say to my clients, a game of millimeters, you know, like a, a, a couple of millimeters can change everything. Yeah. Um, that's everything. That's yeah, that's right. Way. Yes. Yeah, very, very true. Um, you know, like I say, it's a blessing and a curse often, right? Is uh, you know, now that you can see all these things, you look at everybody and you kind of want to hit yourself in the head and you're like, ah, <laughs> and you can't help everybody, right? Unfortunately, you can't, but you try, or at least I try. I'm yeah. like, gosh, I wish I could help everybody. That's why I continue to do this online stuff is, you know, I love it, but at the same time, it's just from, from the selfless place of like, I think everyone should be empowered with, with the knowledge and skill set to be able to you know, build your best body. You know, how much would it, would it take away from a teenager's uh, troubles with body, uh, body image issues? Like you can actually give them the skill set and go, hey, man, here's how you build the body. Here's how you build your pecs. Here's how you can you know, train and actually stimulate the muscles. So many people get injured or feel like they don't have the genetics because they train poorly or they train like somebody else is training. And that's a huge mistake. So if we can empower every teenager in the world, uh, you know, what could we change? How, how much could we change the world? People, you know, maybe we change obesity, maybe we change bullying, maybe we change drug addiction because people don't actually feel good about themselves. Like it's an interesting thought. I mean, maybe a bold thought, but yeah. I think it's an interesting, interesting paradigm to think around. If we empowered, you know, every 13 to 15 year old men, boy and girl um, with this, the skill set to actually feel good in their own skin and to love their body, imagine how different the world could be. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of where my, my focus is now. And not necessarily on that demographic, but just like, you know, anyone at any age, like, Hey, you can love this, this vessel you live in. It's not as hard as you think. It's not about hard work, right? It's about smart work first. And then, and only then can hard work actually reap the benefits that it, that it should. So one question, um, and to be honest, I haven't seen many of the newer programs you've got out. Um, do you still 
Is there anything from the old stuff that you're not using anymore in particular? Like you're still really heavy on the, um, I know we used to do the like four second negatives on almost everything. Um, um, I'll tell you what, I've streamlined it a lot, right? So yeah. that was kind of the first thing I ever put out and it was really um, with the intention of, of creating education, but also creating a novel stimulus. So what I looked at is, as I said, well, what does everyone do now? What, are, what do people currently do? If you look around the gym and every gym, I've, you know, I've been to thousands of gyms or certainly multiple hundreds of gyms. Uh, and you look at this, everyone around the world, no matter where you are, what language you're speaking, they're doing the same things wrong, right? They're always doing the same things in the gym. So I was like, okay, well, how, what are the five things, three to five things I can address that um, will give people a massive change? And, you know, that was tension and time primarily, right? So yeah. teach people what tension is and manipulate time. So I manipulated time by uh, slowing them down. So slowing down the reps and asking for four second eccentrics. And then I, I manipulated time also by manipulating the amount of rest period. So like, hey, 40 second rest period. So I was like, oh, this is this is kind of a cool little little thing. Let's um, slow them down and make them use less time. And now everyone gets, gets incredible results. And, and it wasn't anything that was earth shattering. It was just novel, right? It was very yeah. different and it was scientific. It was validated. It wasn't like I was pulling something off the top of my head. Um, so it's like we're giving people a novel stimulus. So I guess to, to get to the answer to your question, uh, yes, things have changed a lot. But that being said, that workout is still amazing for, you know, 95% of the population because it's so different than what your body's used to. So it's evolved a lot now to, um, you know, kind of focus down and narrow down on, on what are the big things that everyone could do differently. Um, so it's not so much focus on this very specific amount of rest between sets. It's not so much focus on this very specific amount of time on the eccentric. It's like, you know, hey, control. Like, what does control look and feel like for you, right? Uh, and how do we maximally challenge a muscle rather than focus on completing an exercise? You yeah. know, some simple things like that. Because most people are exercise-centric or movement-centric where they're thinking about, oh, I want to do a bench press today because I want to build my chest. Who fucking cares what exercise you're doing, right? You're concerned about challenging your chest. Yeah. So forget about the exercise you're doing and uh, and worry about the muscle we're trying to train. And what does that muscle do? And what's the function of that muscle? And how do I train that thing? How do I challenge that function? And yeah. so we've really kind of narrowed down the focus now from this, you know, these, um, you know, like I said, when I started, it was really the idea of giving people the, the workout that I thought would give them the greatest immediate response to now creating more general principles that, you know, no matter who picks this up uh, from the highest level bodybuilder to the, you know, most low level beginner, 70 year old woman yeah. will still massively benefit from these principles of intelligent exercise. Yeah. And I found it, the stronger I've gotten and the, the longer I've been training and stuff, the execution of the exercises change anyway, because it's like I can't. Sure. I can keep load on a lat in a different position in a seated row than what I used to mm -hmm. three years ago because you've, you've built that over time yeah, to be able control. to actually turn it on when you need to. Um, so it's mm -hmm. definitely like an, an evolutionary... Yeah, it's sure it is. something that... That's a, um, so you go, Ben. Now that's a big part of what I teach now too is like how do you kind of attenuate that skill? Like how do you learn that skill faster? Um, that's a big part because everyone's like, oh, I don't want to wait three years, right? Like, I don't want to take three years to be able to feel my lat. So I'm really spending a lot of time like, okay, how can I you know, make the nervous system or the, the motor cortex of the brain more pliable to this information and more receptive to this information? So I've really been spending a lot of time in, in understanding the learning process and, and uh, 
just trying to kind of accelerate that that um, learning curve for people. So I create what I call primer programs, which is effectively priming your nervous system to, to understand the skill, right? And people overlook the, the reality that exercise is a skill, like dribbling a basketball or like riding a unicycle or yeah. writing, your, writing your name with your other hand. It's a skill. Yeah. And so, well, let's get good at the skill first before we, you know, start adding in all these other variables like like massive amounts of load and massive amounts of manipulation of variables. Like, let's just get good at the skill. And so I spend a lot of my time now focusing on skill. Um, like, hey, here's how, how to get really good at the skill. And I let people, obviously, I write, uh, you know, amazing programs as well. It takes me a ton of time to write great programs. Um, once you know what you're doing, you guys know that it's, there's so much to think about during a program that, it, you know, it takes me hours and hours and hours to write a good six-week program. Um, but yeah, it's really just come condensing down to these skills and making sure you've mastered this before you you move on. And, and the reality is, you'll build muscle so much faster. You know, like people are always looking for how much kind of muscle can I build this month? Yeah, great. Like nothing, right? Very very little. Um, but if you if you take the next three months and you master these skills, yeah. well, now for the rest of your life, your body knows what to do. And now you can only put on muscle. Like it's almost like you have an S on your chest, right? You're putting you're putting muscle on at will. Because now I've mastered the skill, like riding my bicycle, it's not going to go away. It's that compounding interest effect, isn't it? Like once you've got that, you're all every workout you do from then on is going to be better than what it would have been. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting. I find like when you say to someone something as complex as like a deadlift or a squat or or the bench, like the big three, you say, all right, you need to learn the skill for this, and then you'll be able to express strength later. Um, most people are kind of like. Yeah, all right. Like it's a it's a complex exercise. I need to right. to learn the skill for that. I already say, know how to do that, man. I yeah, know how to do that. Yeah. yeah. But then you say, all right, so we need to learn the skill of a bicep curl, and they're like, yeah, or a fly. What, or, what do you mean? Yeah. Like you just fucking right. do a curl. It's not that hard. Yeah. Um, and then you yeah you get them into uh, right. a correct position and get like full range of motion and all this stuff, and they're like, oh okay, yeah. Yeah, it hurts. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that that's really the 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 battle I fight, I guess, or the, the hard road that I have to, uh, you know, go up sometime is like people thinking that they know what they're doing. And then you slow them down and you go, well, let's not just complete the exercise. Let's challenge the muscle. And uh, when someone starts thinking about that, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. I wasn't really challenging the muscle before, but this way is really hard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's why people say, oh, you know, I work hard. And it's always like, okay, based on what criteria, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, hard work. If if you slow down and actually use your muscles, so much harder than than you know mindlessly slinging weight like a monkey, right? Ultimately. Yeah. So, um, some integrating strength and hypertrophy is a little bit different because we're moving with some movement patterns. Like you know, if, sure. if we've got powerlifting, um, but we want to you know get more muscle, we'd be doing um, squat, bench, and deadlift, and then like some other hypertrophy components. Yeah. But when you're building a body. Um, what are the things that get lost the most? Like, are people still, you know, trying to center around these major movements and like they're just like adopting, um, you know, use of barbell work and dumbbell work more than like, you know, machines? Like, do you feel like people undervalue um, like, you know, a certain focus um, in terms of, of course. training and stuff? Well, there's, there's always going to be these, um, these belief systems that people have around exercise, right? These predetermined, like, preconceived notions around what needs to happen in exercise. And that's just their beliefs and their expectations. And you know, the first thing I say when anybody walks into my world is I say, if you want to be successful, what you have to do is you have to forget everything you think you know about exercise yeah. and think. So you know, you have to think. Um, it's it's not uh, these 
false paradigms or false beliefs that you've had before that are going to build muscle. It's like just objectively going, well, what am I trying to do and how do I do it in the most effective way possible and not being attached to how you do it. Ultimately, like I'm not attached to the, to the mechanism, I'm attached to the outcome, right? So I want to make sure that, you know, my outcome being like challenging this muscle, whatever that muscle happens to be as much as I possibly can at every inch of this range of motion, that's the objective, right? So um, you know, rather than my objective is to do a 500 pound bench press, which is a different sport altogether. Yeah. My objective is well, I don't care what it looks like, or I don't care what the, what the exercise is. I don't care what the, the name that somebody put on this exercise. I'm just looking at like your body and your body is different than my body. And how do I mechanically challenge what you're trying to do? I'm trying to train my pec. Well, that, that path of motion for you is very different than it is for me. That setup for you is very different than it is for me. And those things are the, are the, kind of foundational principle that everyone needs to look at is like, you know, first observe your body and go, well, what does my body do? And how do I make this thing fit into an exercise? So rather than mindlessly walking into a gym and, and fitting into any machine that's there, you have to kind of look and say, well, does this fit? Does it feel right? Does it feel like it's yeah. challenging the muscle? If it's not, you know, don't use it. And I guess more specifically to answer your question, it's also important to realize that resistance is resistance. It's just imparting force on your body. Yeah. So whether you're using a you know a kettlebell or a dumbbell or a cable or a shake weight, like end of the day, it's resistance. Yeah. Um, so what what is my objective, and is this resistance applying force on the right muscle? And that's just the simplest way to frame it. Yeah. Is is there a um, an assessment process that you would have? Um, when you're working with someone to, to see how they move or is it a little bit of trial and error um, working out someone's individual biomechanics and how to apply resistance to their, their muscles in a certain movement and stuff? Yeah, it's always got to be trial and error. Like, yeah. I, I can tell by looking at you what you do right and wrong. Yeah. Like, so everyone who signs up as, as a client with me, like let's take pictures first day and I can tell just by the way your shoulders sit, by, by you know, your, your posture, by what muscles are developed and which ones are not. Exactly how you do every exercise. Like shift in your chair. Yeah, I was oh, just about, I want to spread myself out now. And... I feel like you're standing. Yeah. <laughs> just assessing us. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, so I can, I can tell what exercise you're doing well. So, you know, if I'm working with somebody online, it's relatively easy because I get them to send weekly check-in pictures and I go, well, I can tell you're not doing, the, you're not connecting with that muscle well because it's not developing correctly. So I can usually pick exercises or pick exercise cues that will help you feel that exercise a little bit better. But if I'm working with someone in person, it's always like, hey, the more intel I can get, the better. And it's often, you know, I don't say anything sometimes, right? I was like, go, show me what it looks like. Um, you know, so if, if you'll know right away, right? If someone's doing it, yeah. you guys know, you'll know right away if someone's doing it correctly or, or what the change is. And for me, the change is that the trick is saying as little as possible and getting the greatest possible result. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give them five different cues, which confuses them. I want them to have a very small number of key things to focus on. And uh, if you can focus on those things and get really good at them and you, you've taken them to a point where they, we've reached unconscious competence, right? We don't have to think about it. I can just do it. Well, now I can actually focus on a different cue, right? So the big thing, man, is, is there, there's kind of a three-step process that I walk through with everybody. It's, it's always skill acquisition being first. Like, what's the scale of this? First of all, exercise selection, right? Like picking an exercise that works for you and then acquiring the skill of that exercise. And, you know, stability is is everything in exercise if you're if you're unstable you don't build muscle and the last one is just to make sure your your muscle that you're trying to train is actually doing the work through the entire rep so i always just say initiation like make sure you're initiating with that with that muscle to make because sure, your body's looking for ways right your body's evolved for millions of years to uh, survive your body ultimately wants to make things easier 
and you're trying to make it harder. So you're trying to go against millions of years of evolution. So it's going to take conscious effort to break the habit that's built into your nervous system to complete an exercise, right? We don't want to complete an exercise, we want to challenge a muscle. So that's ultimately being as inefficient as possible. I want to use as few muscles as possible to move this load. So that's you know, the simple framing of how I break it down. So do you subscribe at all to the idea of um, so hypertrophy work, like hypertrophy rep ranges, um, is that intrinsic thought process of like you're thinking about the bicep while you do the bicep curl um, and then you're dropping into say your lower rep strength work where you're thinking externally about moving the bar from point A to point B or do you apply this same kind of scenario in a strength setting as well with low reps? Um. I think in a strength setting, there, there's many ways to look at it. It depends who it is, right? Like, I think mechanics is everything in a strength setting, too, with a different objective, right? I'm ultimately trying to use as many muscles as I possibly yeah. can yeah. to move it. But I think, you know, mechanics is, is of the utmost importance just from a different side of the coin. Um, but, you know, I guess that that's, it kind of answers your questions. And just one thing you, you said there that I'd like to touch on is, you know, this typical hypertrophy, you said this typical hypertrophy range of whatever, 8 to 12. Yeah. I think that's the most um, incorrect assumption, or at least one of the most incorrect assumptions in all of, you know, biomechanics and, and exercise physiology, because yeah. well, who's doing it, right? Who's doing this eight repetitions and, and what muscle are they using to get there? And how much, are, how much time is that actually, that muscle? being subjected to load, right? And, and is it coming on and off or is it on the whole time? And so the way I frame it, man, I look at it a little differently, right? As I break it down, it's always it's always based on time. And it's like, okay, I've got time spent in eccentric, time spent in concentric, and time spent in those two phases in between. So if there's a pause, you know, ultimately which is an isometric phase at the top or the bottom. Yeah. And I break it down that way. And I think um, when you start to look at exercise, uh, you know, in an intelligent way, you realize that number of reps is may be important, but not uh, as important as people think. It can't be the end all and be all, right? Because three sets of eight for you is not the, three set, the same as three sets of eight for me, um, even on the same exercise, because, yeah. you know, I could be spending, you know, ultimately two minutes of time under tension. You could be spending 30 seconds and that's a very different stimulus. So, yeah, sure. uh, yeah it's very important to look at that and say, well, who's doing it and how? And that's what, you know, frustratingly that uh, research doesn't go into, right? People in, are doing these research studies and say, oh, it needs to be three sets of eight. Well, fucking who, right? So I see these these studies and I throw them away. I don't even bother to look at them because nobody is quantifying stimulus. Nobody's trying to standardize what people are doing and because they don't know how. They don't understand it. So you have exercise physiologists doing things that should include biomechanics, yeah. and they don't. Yeah. Um, and I think now there's a couple there's a couple labs out there starting to look at that stuff. Thank goodness. But uh, for the longest time, all this this data was kind of um, useless. Because it wasn't looking at like you know how, how can you say that a that a um, flat bench is better than a you know incline press for I don't know chest development like for who right like it's completely different stimulus like it's impossible to say that a, a um, I don't know a leg press is not as good as a squat for quad development like for who and how, what are their mechanics it's impossible like if you want you guys under you guys understand this now it's absolutely impossible to to compare those two things right like people trying to compare a uh, squat with a glute bridge on as far as glute yeah, development yeah, like it's yeah. stupidity it's yeah. apples and oranges you yeah. can't quantify what muscle does more work based on an emg it doesn't work right so uh, you're, you're out you're trying to compare apples and oranges but you're trying to use a, s a stimulus or a uh, a gauge to compare those two things it doesn't make any sense so um yeah just you know that's that's my my rant against um 
you know, conventional science, but I'm, I'm very grateful that people are seeing this now because I guess we just didn't understand mechanics at the level that we need, we do yeah. now. So do you, so typically we talk a lot about um, like total, total weight shifted over a program. So we like, that's why I did the bunny ears for the, the hypertrophy ranges because it's yeah. for us, yeah. it's like, okay, how much weight did you move for the week sort of thing? So if, you, if, huh. you're, if you've got the time and capable of doing um, eight sets of one versus one set of, uh, yeah, one set of eight kind of thing, the weight shift is greater. So more potential hypertrophy. Do you um, have specific KPIs once you've got that execution down pat? Um, what KPIs do you then look at for a program? So is it total relative volume? Is it total weight moves? Is it sets per body part? Is it pr proximity to failure? Like, do you, are those considerations for you? Um, I'm just thinking my way through all those things. I'd, lo I'd love to have you guys explain it more to me, exactly how you frame it, because it's very interesting. Um, I've never thought it thought of it quite the way you look at it. Um, but yeah, so as far as how, you know, ultimately asking how I'm looking to shift somebody's program, like when do I know it's time to move on to the next thing? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, I frame it around, you know, ultimately having three different types of stimuli. So we have a uh, nervous system adaptation. So we have a neurological stimulus. We have a muscular adaptation. So we have a, a muscular stimulus. Then we have a metabolic adaptation, which is kind of like your your fat loss, lactate type training. And we're just trying to um, ultimately manipulate those three types of, of uh, stimuli so that we can get the lowest possible amount of work done to achieve the greatest amount of response, the greatest amount of results. So, um, you know, objectively, I'm, I'm assessing somebody's ability to train in each one of those systems. So if you're neurologically inefficient, we're going to train that. If you're uh, metabolically inefficient, maybe we'll train that. But ultimately, we're looking for that, that system that has the greatest amount of trainability, meaning they have the greatest amount of upward mobility to be able to progress through that system um, and ultimately get a result with the least amount of stimulus. Um, so, you know, the assessment phase would just basically be, you know, one or two workouts or one be one workout per body part and objectively see um, what the that system is capable of. And then we would train that system with the lowest threshold to see a response. So, um, you know, the way I, I envision it, that can maybe be a good uh, visual depiction for the listeners is like three volume knobs, right? And, you know, you've got this, this hypertrophy one, it's called hypertrophy in the middle, we've got the metabolic on the right, and we've got the neurological on the left. Um, and at any one time, I don't want to have all three, not three knobs turned up, right? I want to have maybe one knob or maybe two knobs turned up and one of them turned way down. So ultimately one is being detrained while the other ones are being trained. And the progression of those knobs is just like up one, you know, 1% or one number per week or per workout, ultimately just trying to slowly, as slowly as possible, inch them up, inch them up, inch them up in this, you know, very strategic way. Um, and then when I feel like, the amount of stimulus necessary to continually achieve a stimulus in that, or sorry, the amount of stimulus necessary to continually achieve a response in that uh, training system is getting very high. I'll turn that one down and, and turn the other one up that's been deloaded. So, you know, a lot of what of my training is, is um, kind of based around the nervous system's ability to adapt. And you know, ultimately we're, we're, at any minute in time, at any moment in time, we're in, um, organisms that are adapting to the environment around us via our nervous system's interpretation of that environment. So if I reach a point where a type of stimulus, let's call it a neurological stimulus, like a strength stimulus, is, is uh, it's necessary for me to do so much work that the amount of work is creating an, 
a high amount of stress in the body and the stress can will and often can override the response I'm after, right? So there's a certain point where you, it's a point of diminishing returns. So I have to do so much work that the stress overrides the stimulus. Well, now it's time for me to, to turn the stimulus down and turn up a different stimulus in a different portion. Um, so it's often very, very subjective based on progress. You know, like if I get to work with someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's very easy for me to kind of objectively have a conversation with you for five minutes and say, oh, what, what, how's things progressing? Are you getting stronger? Are you getting bigger? Are you, or do you feel like you're overtrained? And when you get that little, you know, touch of like, ah, you know, I'm not really getting stronger. I'm getting a little bit of fatigue. Okay, well, now it's time to pull this one back yeah. and let's try a different system, right? Uh, and then, that, you know, if you're detraining a metabolic stimulus, it's as simple as like adding in, you know, or decreasing the time between sets by 30 seconds. And all of a sudden you've got an increased stimulus to that yeah. system. So I, I don't know that this is this system. I don't say that the system is is right. You know, I don't think anything is right or wrong. This is just what's really effective for optimizing hypertrophy, right? So we spend a lot of the time in that hypertrophy system. Like that one's always on at some level, just in varying amounts. Whereas then we just kind of manipulate the two outside buttons, which is the metabolic and the neurological stimulus to kind of always allow our body to be progressing in some way or another. So there's never a, a workout that you go into and not feeling like you've accomplished what you're after, right? We've always got this novel stimulus that's always sitting right there. So if I feel like I'm not progressing really well, okay, well, let's, let's you know, deload that system and let's turn up the other one a little bit. And uh, then there's always a system that can progress because you know I know a lot of people get very frustrated with the inability to make progress or the, 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 the likelihood of hitting plateaus, just eliminated the likelihood of ever having plateaus. Yeah. Do you think um, a lot of the reasons why some people plateau it's because they don't know those systems exist and they don't oh, know sure. the time of when to jump from one to the right. other and they kind of just use one system. Sure. Well, they're using all three and they're using them oh, kind yeah. of in equal proportion, right? What does everyone do? Like everyone does the same typical bodybuilder workout that you saw in the Flex yeah. magazine in the 90s, right? It was like, well, do one or two exercises really heavy and then do like your middle range stuff and do like that hypertrophy training and then finish off with something that's going to kind of like exhaust the body and, and you know pump blood in there and get that, that metabolic stimulus, get some, get some real burn. We well, just trained all three systems, which is fine, yeah. but you're, you're likely training them in all three relative same proportion every workout you do. So then the only way to make progress is to what? Work harder, right? Yeah. Yeah. And eventually there comes a point very, very soon in your progress where working harder is no longer an option. You can't work any harder because the stress overrides the stimulus. So now what do we do? Well, if I don't have any other to any tools in my tool belt, well, I don't know what else to do. So guess what? Oh, well, now I just don't, I don't get any results. Or I'm, you know, I'm training really hard. I'm just getting fatter. Or, you know, I feel like I'm getting really inflamed. Yes, you are, because you're challenging these systems so much that you're increasing the sympathetic drive, increasing the cortisol, increasing the inflammation. So you're literally killing your gains, right? Yeah. This is what everybody goes through. And, and it's just such a short amount of time for them to get to this this phase because, you know, yeah, you, yeah I'm going to work hard. I'm going to crush it today. Well, great. But come and talk to me in six weeks when hard work doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Because ultimately, I mean, we can only work so hard, right? Can we make incremental progress with hard work? Sometimes, but learning how to manipulate the the systems approach is so much more effective to just preventing any type of plateaus. In, in your opinion, Ben, because I feel like sometimes when I speak to people and I consult with them about training, they, you know, you give them maybe like, sometimes it might even be like two or three sets of an exercise and they're like, oh, that's not enough. And you know, they're always working off time. Yeah, you know, they want to be in the right. gym for like, so I guess like how I should frame this is like, is there, what's the best, is there a bit like an optimal window? Like how short of a workout could you do in your experience to, you know, get a benefit out of training? Yeah. 
Well, the shorter the better, ultimately, right? Yeah. Uh, I think, and so this is, uh, if you've never heard anything about Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones was a guy who wrote throughout the 70s and 80s, and uh, he, was, he was kind of a leader. He's a guy who created Nautilus, a guy who created the CAM. Like, he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, innovator in the fitness industry. And he kind of uh, was the guy who was the creator of the HIT training system, which is kind of what Mike Menser did, Darren Yates did, the high-intensity stuff, where it's one set to failure, that's all you need. And, you know, as much as he was... Um, a little bit outrageous with his claims. He was probably the most accurate, but uh, not to say that I think everyone should train that way. That should be kind of the, the peak of the mountain. That should be like what you're ultimately training for. You know, the better you get at training, the less and less you need, right? So someone who's a beginner can get away with doing, theoretically can get away with doing a lot more because every, every uh, rep you execute, every set you execute, you're probably not creating as much direct muscle stimulus, direct muscle damage, direct metabolic stress as someone who's more advanced. So everyone should ultimately be working toward the ideal scenario of like, how can I get my body and mind so dialed in that I could do one set per body part to failure? That's the ideal scenario. But working your way back from there, you know, a, a beginner may start with, you know, let's call it 20 sets per week per body part and you know, get okay results. And then as they get better, well, maybe we can do 18 sets per week and then we can do 60 and then we can do 14 and then we can do 12. Ultimately working up to this one point where you, you get better and better and better at the skill and therefore you can actually create the substantial amount of muscle damage. And that doesn't mean you have to stay at one set per body part. You can obviously come back down the mountain and, and you know, manipulate your volume according to that. But uh, ultimately um, you, uh, there's been certainly been points in my career and probably where I am now where I can do really low volume, provided you're able to put that amount of work into a set, right? And, yeah. and that's maybe the asterisk that needs to be there is I've met, you know, you call it on two hands, how many people I've met that can actually get enough work into one set that maybe more than two hands, I might be embellishing a little bit, but get enough work into one set that they'd actually get a result. Because most people, to be honest, you get it, will quit, right? Their brain will quit well before their body will quit. Certain body parts, you can do it, but then that comes down to a, a neurological inefficiency thing where, you know, they just don't contract that much muscle when they when they do a rep and their body just fatigues first or they lose stability or, you know, more of these things contributing to their inability to, to continue to progress. But uh, there's a lot of things that prevent, um, you know, the average person from benefiting from that low volume. Is there, is there a mindset component to training? Like what, like how would you, what are some notable things that you uh, do to approach a set? Cause like, I guess I've heard that you know, you're very meticulous with how you approach things and you are always thinking about what you're doing. Like are there certain things that are going through your mind before you step into the gym or that you're you know, doing before you complete a set? We're frozen there guys, sorry. I got, no, you, back. I got you back now. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind doing that question one more time, man, I got yeah. the first half of it. Like, what am I mindset component yeah, so of training? Just the, so, um, I guess the things that we're talking about then are just like skills and stuff that have been taught. And then you were yeah. saying it, there's only very few people that can work that hard. So, yeah, um, yeah what are the what are some, th some of the things that are going through your mind, man? Like, you know, what are you thinking about? Like, you know, how do you approach something and like work that hard? Like, you know, yeah, well, so what I'm thinking about is probably very different than what the average person should be thinking about. So there's a very specific number of skills um, that you need to be working on when you're exercising, right? And once you, so the reason I say that is because I'm at the point now where exercise for me 
for most exercises is unconscious where I don't have to think about it. My body just gets it right. Most people should be thinking about, well, how do I make this really, really good right now? Yeah, Objectively, how do I challenge this muscle right now is what people should be thinking about. So that means, you know, ultimately creating as much stability as you can and challenging the muscle and slowing down. Right. So control. Um, but if you, if you want to get to that output side of it, um, for me, it's, um, you know, it's ultimately embracing the pain. It's it's like trying to find that pain and uh, seeking it, right? It's almost like if I, if I feel that little bit of lactic acid there, I want to go after it like a bloodthirsty lion. Um, like, I want like, how do I get more of that? How do I get more of that? And, and realizing that that's where, that's where the opportunity is, right? The further you can go into that discomfort, the further you can go into that pain, okay, that's like, that's like the highest peak of the mountain. Like, that's where I want to go if I want to be really great at this stuff is, you know, first you have to focus your mind so that you can actually seek that pain because most people get so distracted in, in their workout. Like, you can't, you know, focus on something for 15 to 20 seconds and they're thinking about something else when their brain shuts off. Um, but, you know, first focus and then second, like, put your focus on that discomfort, put your focus on that pain, embrace it, smile, acknowledging that's the fact you're getting better. That's, that's, that's your opportunity for progress and then try to go deeper into it. Right. And I'm, I'm at that point, almost trying to uh, create a positive framing in my mind. Cause you know, I, I talk to my kids about this stuff all the time. Like who said pain was bad, you know, like pain is a response we get that creates an awareness of something happening in our body. It doesn't mean that we're going to die. It doesn't mean that, you know, shit's going to explode. It just means like, Hey, I should be aware of the fact that this thing's burning. Uh, thank you. Let's keep going. At some point your body will shut off. Right. But, um, but ideally embracing that discomfort and saying, thank you, this is the opportunity. And I want to keep going there. And that, that really is the framing now is, um, again, it's the life struggle is, is always trying to get as close as you can to the, to the edge without toppling over, um, and that's the day-to-day -day struggle that I'm trying to get back to now in my training. I took quite a bit of time, you know, chilling out with my training, um, focusing on other things, but getting back to that now is like really, really loving going as close as you can to the edge without toppling over. Yeah. If anyone's ever seen or more so heard Ben train and the, the bark growl that he gets <laughs> on a set, it's a thing right. in my mind that he's thinking, thank you at that moment, <laughs> like that blows my mind. That you're, yeah, I, I thank you. <laughs> it's, it's great. I like that. Um, yeah, so it's it's different now, right? Like it's it's evolved since then. But I mean, it was still that at that point. You know, as soon as I heard that one time, I was like, oh, that's exactly what it is, right? When you're uncomfortable in life, like that's your greatest opportunity for for improving who you are, for becoming a better yeah. person. And uh, I frame that around every, with everybody now. You know, at the deepest depths of your heart is set. Smile, right? And that's it's kind of a uh, a mantra of mine that uh, I've been saying for quite a long time. And uh, sometimes there's an expletive or two after that, but uh, yeah. usually it's, uh, it's just framed around the harder it gets, the deeper it goes smile. Cause that's, that's the only time you're getting better, man. Nobody gets better when they're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very true. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit if we can. So I'm curious, um, the two, and, and we found this ourselves having some online, programs that we roll out and then obviously custom programming for one-on-one -on -one clients. The different mindset in trying to set up a program that's going to work for everybody when you put out one of your MI40 programs versus yeah. then having that individual, like you said, you can look at pictures of or how they sure. move or whatever. Um, what are the, maybe um, the constants that you look at? So like what are the things that a program must have and then sure. maybe what are the variables when you've got a template? Yeah, I just I, I just build it for a specific avatar for a specific goal, right? So like 
I've worked with enough people now that I can go, okay, I'm trying to build this for someone who's, who's lacking this body part or who lacks this specific ability, or maybe they, they can't feel this body part or they don't feel connected to this body part. That's the way I frame it. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally impossible to create a workout for everybody, but you're trying to create a workout that will challenge either a different system or a different function or a different skill and, uh, and lock it in. So, you know, I may combine a, an upper body workout, which is kind of a, you know, quote unquote, high volume, high rep type workout, which for me is, uh, nothing about building muscle. It's just about locking in movement patterns. So my body and my brain can understand, Hey, this is how this is supposed to be done. And I do that with really high reps. Um, and then I combine that with a lower body stimulus. That's maybe a strength-based stimulus, right? So you're kind of combining these two opposing stimuli so that your body can you know, one day get a neurological stimulus and next day get a metabolic stimulus, or at least a, a, um, a, a skill acquisition stimulus, uh, and not, just fatigue one system. So we're training two different systems, you know? And so that's kind of the way I approach it, depending who it is and what the objective is. Uh, most of those workouts are either written for me or written for very specific clients that I have that are uh, having very specific um, limitations on their ability to progress based on something that they see. So, you know, um, you guys get this now because you've watched enough of my stuff and other people's stuff. Um, the biggest, there's, there's very, very specific things that stand out that everybody is wrong, everybody has weaknesses with, and, and that's always around uh, limitations in the stability of the scapula, limitations around stability of the pelvis. Um, so a lot of the programs are built around that. It's like, how, what can we um, lock into somebody's program that allows them to you know, improve the stability and actually get some, some output with very specific things, um, you know, specific to limitations they're going to have. Um, so there's so much that goes into a program. I mean, I'm not even sure which direction to go, but um, for me, it's always just, uh, you know, addressing those bottlenecks and uh, progressing through um, in, in, you know, multiple different ways. But as, as you get deeper into this world, and I'm sure you guys are there now, you realize that it's always a very specific small number of things that will move the needle the greatest amount when you're creating a program. So... The, you've used the word um, stability a couple of times now. We're actually chatting to Jordan Shallow in a couple of hours who talks about stability a lot, obviously from a powerlifting standpoint. Sure. Um, when you're talking about hypertrophy training, so I think stability and I'm thinking like, I'm doing single leg RDLs to make me more stable in the bottom of a squat no. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no. So what are, you, what are you referring to when it comes to stability from sure. exercise execution? Well, one soundbite that I use often that will stick in people's brain is that this is the reality that the brain will literally downregulate muscular contraction if it senses instability. Yep. So, um, you know, if you're if you're on an unstable surface, or even if you're doing a, an exercise like a bench press or a squat, and something is moving, you're not stable. So, if you know, you're, even if you have a little bit, like I'm, I'm looking for such stability. Uh, on an exercise that I don't even see you like twitch. I don't see you vibrate, right? I want to see absolute rock-like stability like you're built out of concrete because if you're thinking about it, you know, what's what's my objective in challenging a muscle? It's well, I want to get as much force output of this muscle as I possibly can. And to do that, you need an absolutely stable surface if something is moving. So the best way to, the best way to think about this, you know, the visual analogy for people listening is if I have a rope and, you know, obviously every every muscle has two ends like a rope would, and if I have a rope in each of my hands, I have one side of the rope in each of my hands, and you know both sides of the rope are moving, how much tension is being generated in the, in the rope? You know, zero. So in order for me to generate rope 
or tension in this rope or this muscle ultimately, one end needs to be absolutely anchored in stone so that it can actually pull on the other end. So if the end that's supposed to be anchored is moving, even if it's just oscillating like in very uh, minute amounts, it's taking away from my, my ability to contract. So as you guys said in the beginning of the, of the show was, you know, this millimeter thing, right? And that's something that I talk about daily, right? It, because because if you look at a range of motion, if I say, you know, guys, what's your range of motion on a, on a, on a dumbbell fly? Most people look at the, the distance the dumbbell travels, right? But, you know, you look at the distance the muscle changes length, and it's literally like, you know, an inch to two, two inches maximum, right? You know, four centimeters. Okay, well, if I lose a centimeter in there because of something moving in the wrong direction, that could be 25 to 50% of my, my progress or my opportunity of challenge. So, you know, millimeters matter, right? It absolutely does. And making sure that you're completely anchored. So if I want to generate contraction at the pec, everything around that scapula, everything around that shoulder needs to be completely anchored, like no movement so that my pec can actually do what it's supposed to do or do what it wants to do. And it's important to realize that your brain knows what's going on. Your brain's much smarter than we are, right? So your brain will sometimes make muscles unstable, make them weak, so that you don't have stability so that you can't lift heavy weights right yeah, so like if i'm trying to do a bench press and, and you know my shoulder's not really feeling really good your body goes nope we're going to make this guy really weak so you lose stability so it doesn't allow you to generate maximum output with, you, with the muscle you're trying to train so yeah. paying attention to those things like if you sense instability somewhere if you feel weakness somewhere well it's your brain telling you something it's not just meant to be overridden by like i'm just going to man up today and work hard like hey if you want to work hard man up you need to do something to stabilize that shoulder or that that random muscle first yeah. uh, before you should go just slapping the typical weights on this thing so, so, so stability is man, a, stability's everything stability stability is a pillar of of all training is that a cueing thing or is that a go and do a supplementary exercise to increase stability it's usually a supplementary exercise right it's usually some type of activation um but again who knows situationally uh, but most people are um typically moving into certain ranges because your brain's trying to find a solution to complete what you're asking it to, right? Your brain's taking inventory and says, hey, well, this thing's not as stable as we need to be to remove that load. Let's move into a position where it is and acknowledging that sometimes your, your brain um, or your body is, is unstable because it's weak, which is usually the case, or sometimes it's unstable because it's injured. So both of which have, um, you know, very, very real implications if you're not aware of them. And I know this is kind of a lot for the average person to start thinking about, but it's really as simple as just pay attention, you know, like slow down, slow down, pay attention to what's happening. If you feel something moving that's not supposed to be, fix it or pay attention to it, you know, and, and maybe it's just a conscious adjustment and say, oh, I shouldn't let that happen. Or maybe it's like, hey, go and actually activate the muscles that are, are supposed to be working in that position. Yeah, definitely. So how do how does breathing fit into that? Um, like you looking at half like Valsalva type approach or how are you break like Man, I think you, you, just, you just hit a hot you just hit a hot button right there for me, man. But breathing is my new uh, infatuation. It's maybe my new obsession. You know, I tell you, I'm, I'm obsessed with some things, and uh, I wish somebody had brought that uh, to my awareness early in my career. How uh, instrumental and imperative breathing is in your ability to uh, perform. You know, so I'm experimenting with some really different breathing mechanisms when I'm training. It's not usually a Valsalva. It's usually, you know, thinking about Valsalva being a beneficial mechanism for a symbol doing a single repetition. But um, for someone doing a you know, bodybuilding style workout, I think you're ultimately trying to maintain 
the most calm breathing cadence you can while maintaining the most stable trunk that you can, right? So you don't want your stomach moving, moving and breathing. Like sit up, take a deep breath right now. What happens to your spine? Extension, right? Go it out. Flexion. Do we want flexion extension happening when I'm doing a squat or, or like probably not? So I need to try to maintain a calm breath without going through that really extended inhalation exhalation sequence, right? So trying to maintain stable um, trunk muscles while you know calmly breathing. Because if you're doing 20 reps, you can do in Valsalva, you're going to be in big trouble. So um, my thing, uh, I'm experimenting with a lot of stuff is, you know, doing, you know, if you guys want to try something challenging, try doing three reps for one breath. Um, so, you know, you're literally really extending that inhalation, exhalation while you're going through the rep cadence. Um, and you'll find your output. I do a lot of like leg extensions and such where my output, I mean, probably 25% increase on my output because my focus goes away from the execution and goes away from the lactate and goes on to just my breath. It just feels like, I guess it clears the lactate or maybe my body stays a little more parasympathetic. It doesn't go into a high amount of sympathetic arousal uh, and I get so much greater uh, stimulus. So it's very interesting to uh, manipulate breathing, man. But um, I think the big thing for anyone trying to ultimately improve their body composition is make sure it's always nasal breathing, uh, make sure it's always into the diaphragm, ideally like down belly breaths uh, and just keep it as calm as you possibly can. That maybe is my... Um, and kind of my ace in the hole when I'm training with people who are stronger or, or better athletes than me is my ability to get back into a parasympathetic state is vastly superior to most athletes. So I can go into a set where I crush myself and 10 seconds later, I'm standing there barely sweating and, you know, with a smile on my face, not out of breath and people are, you know, laying on the floor gassed. And, and it's not because I have some, some special ability. It's because I've trained my autonomic nervous system to where I can come back into this parasympathetic place really quickly. And that's actually highly correlated with, with a very uh, healthy athlete or healthy nervous system, right? Is your ability to turn up really, really high and turn down really, really low, almost at will. Yeah. Um, there's some really interesting research out of like the Russian cosmonaut program where uh, on inhalation, these guys would get their heart rate up to 90. On exhalation, we get down to 45, like that quickly, as far as its ability to, to change is pretty crazy. So that's like the ultimate health of the autonomic nervous system, right? It's like, you know, massively sympathetic when I go, you know, really fast or I go on the way out and all of a sudden, geez, now my, my parasympathetic is very calm. Uh, that's kind of a skill that, that I've been trying to, to hone, you know, a lot of meditation and a lot of uh, manipulation of breath, super fascinating stuff, man. Just like, and imagine be able to breathe out with one breath and get yourself, get your brain down into an alpha state versus, you know, which is the meditative state or a state of creativity and focus. Awesome. So maybe we'll switch to like going on from the breathing and stuff into the more of like behaviors, mindset, that type of stuff that you found sure. either whether it's as an athlete or as a business person or either just being a good dad because I know that's right up there on your totem pole as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are the what are the things that like you're applying at the moment that you find's giving you an edge, be it in any three of those scenarios? Well, just what we spoke about is I think the greatest edge anyone can give themselves the ability to turn it up and turn it down at will. Imagine walking into a business meeting, you know, do you want to be turned up or turned down? Or do you want people to influence you externally or do you want to be able to do it yourself? You know, the ability, like if someone stresses me out within one breath, I can turn myself back down and come back down into a responsive creative state. 
uh, that to me is is maybe the greatest edge any athlete or business person or high performer can give themselves is control over your autonomic nervous system. I mean, that's massive. Um, for me, it's also framing, you know, as we spoke about briefly, framing life around seeking challenge um, rather than avoiding challenge. Um, and you realize, like, if you really, you know, if you frame this, like, what if you wanted to end your life in, say, 50 or 100 years, and you really wanted to have a life of massive amount of impact? What would that look like? You know, and if you frame it around the only way to do that is by challenging yourself. Like, you can't do it being complacent. You can't do it doing the same shit you do every day. The only way to do it is to literally seek the biggest obstacles, the biggest opportunities, and go after it. Right? It's the only way. Um, whereas most people like to live this life of complacency and, and, and dormancy and, uh, you know, just like, oh, my day is great, you know, it's fine, and, you know, using uh, euphemisms to um, tell themselves why everything's okay. But... Ultimately, that's a big framing for me is like what how big of a challenge can I create for myself or how big of a, an obstacle can we go after and ultimately uh, overcome it? Um, you know, that's been a big thing for me. And it's always uh, the third thing that I would offer is uh, everything in life uh, is giving me an opportunity to be grateful, uh, whether that's an opportunity, whether that's an obstacle, whether it's something great that happens or something bad that happens. Everything is an opportunity, quote unquote, bad that happens. Everything is an opportunity be grateful and if you can change your uh framing in your mind to find gratitude in everything you do life changes very very quickly man it's almost impossible to be upset or fearful or angry uh or feel inadequate when you're grateful and uh so that's been a big thing for me man i grew up in, in a very interesting environment as a child and i uh, didn't understand what gratitude was didn't understand what it, what um you know being successful was ultimately and uh to be able to frame my my life and my past even around being grateful um, has changed me and changed my ability to communicate and changed my uh, outward uh, expression to the world. So um, those are kind of my three uh, pillars, if you will. Yeah, I think the the concept of like, um, like you said, almost that legacy, leaving behind some kind of legacy is so important because it's like that's, that's what's going to get you to do stuff to, that doesn't fit in like people are so conscious about i just want to stay with what everyone else is doing don't want to upset the herd kind of stuff but it's like well if you actually want to make an impact you have to be outside that line otherwise you're not making an impact on anyone or anything um yeah that's yeah, huge that's a yeah, absolutely, man. And it's, it's literally seeking, I guess the only way to do it is, is to find what lights you up, man. And, and so many people are afraid to, to seek that thing. Cause as you say, they're afraid of what other people are going to think, but you have to find that thing that lights you up and rips you out of bed. And yeah. once you do, no matter what it is, like that, that's it, man, you, you go all in on that one thing because if you die doing something you hate, that's no fun, man. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather die doing something I love than die yeah. doing something I hate. So we're all going to die. Right. That's, that's reality. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all gonna we're all gonna go at some point. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a hundred years, but we're all gonna go. So you might as well go out doing the thing you love, yeah. rather than doing the other thing that the other people expect of you. Yeah, there's one uh, one thing that I've carried from. I don't know whether it was on one of your old podcasts or something like this, and this will make you laugh. Um, so this would be shit five years ago. I've got a blackboard at home, tiny little thing with like love hearts hanging off it, and all it says on there is. What would you do if you were the greatest in the world at what you do? So it's like, okay, if you want to make a decision and like yeah. I was bold enough at 22 to be like, fuck it, I'm going to be the best at 
what I do. Um, and that's, yeah, that's been on my whiteboard for five years. And it's like, when you're in a moment, it's like, okay, what, what choices do I have? And if I was already that guy, what would they do? Yeah, I frame every goal in my life around that, right, is, is who do I need to become to achieve this goal? So most people, um, you know, set a goal and they, they go off and they, you know, they hope they're going to take steps in the right direction. But it's like, okay, if I want to set the goal to be, um, you know, the world's greatest public speaker, well, who do I need to become? What habits do I need to achieve? What skills do I need to acquire? What daily routines do I need to have to become that person? That's the only way to do it, right? Ultimately, that's, that's the trick, if there is one. So if I want to become a professional bodybuilder, well, find a professional bodybuilder who you think has his shit together, and look, what, what is he doing? Like, does he eat every two hours? Okay, well, maybe I should do that. You don't, you don't have to do it mindlessly, but at least you should you should create a framework around, well, that's kind of where they start, so let's start there and see how that works for me. But the very least taking all the actions necessary to acquire the habits and skills that you want to, that you need to acquire to be that person ultimately, right? If you want to be the greatest in the world of what you do, well, what does that require? And that that's always going to be an easy decision for you. If something else comes up, if you want to be the greatest bodybuilder in the world and someone offers you a, you know, shot of whiskey or something, you, you say, well, you know, no, thank you. Like I have another goal. Um, you know, so it's very easy to, to make decisions when you have a strong, bold, audacious goal like that. So um, Ben, you're probably the first person that we've met who's like being a high end level athlete and is a coach as well and a trainer and an influencer. So are there different, like, is there different advice that you have for an athlete and then different advices that you have for a coach or does it, does being an athlete or having been an athlete in the past, has, has that made you a better coach? Well, I think the unique um, perspective that I'm able to offer is you know, some coaches come in, it, come in it with a much better theoretical skill set than I'll ever have, right? There's people that know more about how the body works than I ever will. And there's, there's people who are athletes who know nothing about how the body works. So the unique perspective I have is like, I've got a pretty good skill set on both sides, right? I've been, I've been a great athlete who really pushed my body and mind as far as most people, much further than most people ever will. And I've got a really good theoretical um, background as well. And, and I have this nice integration of the two. So you know, one of the things that uh, I think has been a unique um, privilege of mine is, you know, ultimately being able to to test uh, theory. You know, like I, I theorize about a lot of things like, hey, if I do this, will this happen? And because you're pushing your body so far, there's very few people who can kind of objectively or subjectively say that, you know, I was when I was working as hard as I possibly could. I saw this happen. I saw that happen. I did this, this happened. You know, like in order to see, I, th I think ultimately what, what science should be testing is the outliers, right? They, they try to test the norm. They try to test the sedentary population. But what I want to see is the outliers because if you did something when I was preparing for a contest, if you gave me five grams of creatine, I could tell you whether or not it's working with, you know, like right away um, because I know my body so well, right? I knew everything I did. I knew if I did an extra three sets, what would happen? I knew what I did if an extra... 50 grams of protein, what would happen? Like it was so predictable at that point that, um, you know, it was very easy for me to throw something in and test whether it worked. I could see almost immediately, like, you know, within certainly a short amount of time, does anything work? And that that's an interesting perspective to bring to any coaching scenario, right? Is I've probably got some decent insight as to whether or not, you know, that's going to work. And obviously I'm only, you know, N equals one population, but it still gives you kind of a perspective on, um, you know, what works, what doesn't work, how hard you need to push. Like that's probably the greatest value I can provide to anyone who wants to be, uh, who wants to have a great body is, well, 
the integration of skill and work, you know, so if you ask any of the coaches who worked for me or, or trained with me, um, that's, you know, yes, I'm going to teach you how to be a better, you know, trainer. Yes, I'm going to teach you how to be better at the skill. But the biggest thing that I'm going to provide to you is I'm going to show you what's necessary every time you step in the gym to actually get the body you want, you know, like from a, from a how hard you need to push yourself perspective to how you need to carry yourself to what your perceived exertion should like, do you just lay on the floor and like fall down or, or you know, how do you carry yourself kind of stuff? Right. So there's a, there's a beautiful integration there of, I've just been blessed to have a lot of unique opportunities and work with a lot of really great people. Um, so this, this integration of all those different skills is kind of what I bring to a you know, coaching scenario. So you've, we've got, the the 17 year old kid that's walking into the gym who's starting out for the first time what are the what's the main advice you would give to them if they're looking to get um the greatest body that they can close your eyes and stop watching the people around you (laughs) and start feeling (laughs) truthfully start start feeling um i think you know as you know one of the things one of the kind of stories i tell in in the camps when i when i have people attending the camps or even coming into my world you know, people always ask what I think about the difference between the bodies of the 70s and 80s and 90s and today. And, uh, you know, my belief, and this is a small part, there's, there's, there's a number of things that contributed to what, why the bodies looked the way they did. But the uniqueness of the bodies and the completeness of the bodies back then was just the reality that they did rather than watched, right? So if, I, if Arnold wanted to learn how to build his chest, what did he do? He did it. And he, and, he, and he literally would take a shirt off or he trained with it in a strength tank top and he would watch and he'd go, oh, so when I do this exercise, this muscle contracts. So it allowed him to kind of objectively observe and go, okay, well, that muscle's not developing as much as I need to. So let's do a little more of this exercise. And let's just, so they're literally observers, right? They're, they're doing, they're like, they're doing their own scientific experiment. Whereas people now, what do they do if they want to learn how to do an exercise? They don't fucking look. They watch YouTube, man, or they go, they go to Instagram. And what's the problem with that? As we talked about earlier, not everybody's the same. People could watch me squat or watch Tom Platt squat. It's the best example. People watch Tom Platt squat and go, wow, he had the best legs. I should squat like that. I should squat with my feet together. No, idiot. If you squat with your feet together, you're going to have a back problem, right? Tom Platt's is short with really short femurs. Okay, well, that's a different scenario than someone who's, you know, five foot 11 with, you know, four foot femurs, right? Very different scenario. And everyone has different mechanics. It's important to, like, I think that's a huge, uh, huge factor, like looking back on why people are so different now than they were in the past. Uh, a bit of a tangent, I guess, but important part of it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So uh, next one is, so students come in, do our Cert Forum Fitness, walking out into the gym's first day as a trainer. Um, what's the advice to them to be able to be good enough to teach this execution stuff? As a trainer or for themselves? As a trainer. Well, learn your, learn it for yourself first, right? You, ha- you have to feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality in our world. There's a lot of trainers who don't apply it to themselves, and that's just a sad reality because having something in theory is absolutely useless, I believe, until you've applied it yourself. Um, so get on it, apply it yourself, and apply it with much higher frequency than you're comfortable with, right? So, like, most people are used to train their body parts once a week or twice a week, and I think that's lunacy when it comes to a beginner. I think beginners can be training up to four to five times a week and it doesn't have to be massive amounts of volume. It can be, you know, let's do three to six sets per body part, but let's do it every day. Because what what is our objective during that time? Our objective isn't necessarily even to build muscle. Our objective is to learn the skill. And if you want to learn how to speak Mandarin, how often are you going to do it? If you do it, if you do it once a week, how how quickly is you going to learn that skill? It's going to take a lot longer than if you did it every day, right? So ultimately, um, you know, 
higher frequency, learn how to do it yourself, and then observing, man, like acknowledging that your body is unique to you and you need to just look at, and the simplest framing for anybody listening is every muscle has two ends, find them and pull them closer together and and pull them farther apart. And that's it, right? That's all a muscle does. So now how I add resistance to that and challenge that without allowing it to leave or, or, you know, losing stability or allowing any type of rotational stuff to happen that takes it out of plane, but uh, find the two ends of a muscle and, and pull those things close together with resistance and you win. <laughs> you win muscle building. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. So because Ben's being modest, um, I would definitely say go and look at Ben's YouTube page. 100%. Um, yeah. Just to get... Thank you. I don't think there's anyone that... Maybe there's people that execute as well, but I don't think there's anyone explains that explains yeah. the cues that as effectively uh, you, as you do at the, uh, out there. Um, so to be able to go and at least have the cues in your head when you walk yeah, into the yeah, gym and gym. execute yeah. and start to feel and it's like, oh, I used to do curls like this, now I do them like that and fuck, that hurts. Yeah. Um, and things yeah. start to really shift. So yeah, definitely follow Don't watch that. Ben's YouTube stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. And often imitated, never duplicated is something that a lot of a lot of other people have said about uh, MI40, which is I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there who are trying to teach it. Um, and I'm very grateful that you guys think that I'm doing a good job because like <laughs> anything, man, it's a skill. Yeah. You know, I was filming some new content today for we're launching. Um, so I, uh, I'm launching muscleintelligence.com. Uh, we're launching that site. So I was filming a bunch of new content over this week and I haven't filmed content in probably three months. And you, <laughs> It's a skill, man. You get rusty if you don't do it often. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, oh, why do I say that? And ultimately, you're, you're trying to condense really complicated stuff into, you know, as condensed a time frame as possible. Because if you want people to pay attention on, on the website, it's kind of like you got this 60 to 120 second window. So how do I teach you everything you need to know about this exercise in, in you know, 60 to 120 seconds? Yeah. But uh, I do, really my, do my best and try to make it as light as light as possible. Lots of caffeine. Yeah, yeah, love talk real quick. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. That's the thing. Zero, right? So now that I've learned to kind of control my autonomic nervous system, I find caffeine makes it worse. So I I mean, I mean, ultimately, brain power is all about controlling your your states of excitation, right? So if I can be an alpha, my ability to articulate those words is like just rolls off the tongue. Whereas if I'm in high beta, uh, your ability to pull your words out of your head is is like it's like diving into the abyss. So. Uh, yeah, when I'm when I'm filming, I avoid caffeine. So for training, it's a different thing, right? Like I want to be in high beta, I want to be sympathetic. But if if I'm if I'm doing some content or writing or or trying to teach, it's often like no, I'm gonna actually maybe have a tea, calm down. Maybe, I do a lot of lines main. If you guys use lines main, I'm a huge fan of lines main. Uh, just kind of calms me down. I don't know if lines main calms me down, but helps my brain focus and uh, just you know keep me in an alpha state. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So tell us about. Uh, so we're in Melbourne, but yeah. uh, there are listeners around Australia. So the muscle camps and seminars yeah. uh, in January. Yeah, so yeah, I've been very blessed to, to connect with Jordan Shallow, who's much brighter than me. And you guys say you guys are going to have a conversation with him later today. And, and we've got this unique uh, synergy, right, where I'm teaching muscle building and, and uh, my, um, I guess, quote unquote, unique approach to muscle building. Although I don't think it's unique, I just think it's correct. Uh, and Jordan does the same with strength. And that, I think that's a beautiful integration because... Um, you know, he's brilliant at teaching, you know, the basics of strength and the basics of, of exercise uh, rehabilitation and such. So we've decided to team up and come to Australia for three weeks, um, camp in Sydney, the 11th through the 13th of January. So the 11th, which is a Friday, is going to be offered as either a one day uh, seminar. So it'll be a full day seminar. Jordan and I'll split the time. Or you can do all three days, which would then be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you come to that one-day seminar, and we're adding on two days of training after that. 
Um, so I, with the idea of being just like, we want to touch as many people as possible. We realize that to have an effective training camp, we can only take 16 people. So they have to be really, really small. And uh, I think that would kind of have been a, we probably would have pissed a lot of people off if we allowed 16 people. Um, so we decided to do this first day, which is going to be a larger group teaching all of our concepts, you know, as much as we can over the span of, you know, effectively eight or nine hour day. Uh, and then we're doing Gold Coast right after that hasn't been released yet. But uh, so we, we had a lot of interest out of Sydney. Uh, so we were thinking about maybe doing a second camp in Sydney, but we've had so many people reaching out to us from Gold Coast that we're going to do Gold Coast that may actually release, you know, probably before this podcast is going to be released. Um, so that'll release in the Gold Coast will be 14th, 15th and 16th of January, which is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, so the Monday again will be the one day seminar. The Tuesday, Wednesday will be the, uh, the training camp. And then we're going to Perth, uh, you know, two days later to knock it out again, which is the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's going to be held at Doherty's in Perth. Um, and then we're off to Melbourne the, the week after for uh, Doherty's in Melbourne. Uh, and I guess that's the tw- four days to Ray Day before we come down over to Australia Day. In yeah. yeah, man. But you know, Jordan, Jordan's a rock star man he's a superstar like he's not going to get fatigued and i'm kind of used to this stuff now man i'm i'm very similar to where by the end of it i'll probably be pretty gassed the workouts seem to take it out of you um but yeah Yeah. we'll be fine man we'll be great and uh so yeah melbourne will be the 25th through the 27th we'll be sure to come armed with some meat pies and beers yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Monday. And some thongs. Yeah, flip-flops. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, have to come in your flip-flops to the presentation in Melbourne. What do you call them? Uh, We call them thongs, but that's not... Thongs. Yeah, that's obviously not what you guys call them. (laughs) (laughs) Call thongs something else. Yeah, say thongs in America gets the strange looks. Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing thongs. Mm. Two of them? Right. Why? Yeah, awesome. So yeah. how do we find the details for the camps in particular? Yeah, thank you. Um, so that's just musclecamps.com. Um, you know, musclecamps.com will, will allow you to choose your city and then see a little bit about the course content. Um, you know, we kept it really, really simple. You pick, basically pick your city, pick your event, and then join us. So, and it, I mean, it may be sold out by the time this, this podcast goes live. Uh, Sydney and Gold Coast have had massive response. Uh, Perth and Melbourne, I know there's definitely seats left. So, but anybody who's listening, please come on the on the, the first day of the Friday, uh, yeah, theoretically, yeah. depending where it is, uh, because you know we can ultimately get a lot more people into that because it's not uh, an interactive thing. It's not the workout. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ultimately, anybody who's looking to build their greatest body and understand this and do it in an injury-free way, I'm sure you guys will attest. Uh, Jordan and I know a little bit about exercise. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, how do we find you? So, yeah, man. I mean, Instagram. Instagram is kind of the place that I've, I've um, gone uh, go to the most. Uh, I'm trying to do a little better with Twitter because apparently Twitter is kind of having a resurgence. So, okay. um, it's just BPAC Fitness, B P A K Fitness uh, on Instagram. Uh, as I said, I'm launching Muscle Intelligence, which will be probably early January. Hopefully, you know, you never know how developers work out, but. Uh, and then there's the MI40 Nation, which is just mi40nation.com. Uh, Benpakulski.com is another one people can find me. So kind of all over the place, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Easy. And cool. YouTube. YouTube, yeah. And yeah. it's just the same, yeah. just BPAC Fitness. Uh, it's actually MI40. Okay. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much yeah. for the opportunity, Ben. Yeah, it's um, been great. Thanks, guys. One of the yeah. other the other of probably many quotes I, I stole and kept from you was, um, you said in a podcast once that you were able to, you were supremely confident that you could have a conversation about fitness with anyone anywhere in the world about anything. So whether it be the president or someone who's super high up in exercise uh, or, or like 
uh, fitness or coaching, yeah. you'd be comfortable to have a conversation. So yeah. to be listening to that and go, I want to be able to do that, to then have the opportunity to sit down and That's chew you. the fat with yeah. you, it's like it's, it's a very it's humbling a cool, experience. Yeah. cool road. So thank you guys. And you know, so the framing of that is like at the end of life, you know, you know, frame it around who's at your proverbial table, right? When you're when you're about to go through the gates and you know, there's you're sitting at the at the table there, who's there? Um, you know, and, and who are the people that are ultimately your mentors that are alive and, and what do you bring of value to that table? Yeah. That's always the way I frame life. Nobody's going to let you sit at the table unless you bring equally as much value, if not more, right? You want them to invite you to the table, right? You don't want to invite yourself to the table. And that's the way I frame my life is I'm, I'm a voracious student of life. Uh, I, I consume information and content, uh, you know, endlessly as much as I possibly can. And it's not always about fitness. You know, I'm learning about business. I'm learning about philosophy. I'm learning about meditation and stoicism. And you know, I'm kind of learning about all these really interesting things. Uh, but ultimately, bring value. And that's how you get a seat at the table, man. Like, I want to be invited to that table. I want to be the guest of honor at that table, right? I don't just want to be some guy who just strolls in off the road and just plops down at the table ultimately. So... That's where that thought came from is how do I become a guy who's confident enough to sit at the table with anybody in fitness or in, you know, in whatever space I wanted to be in yeah. uh, and be comfortable enough to have a conversation. Awesome. Yeah, it's unreal. Cool. Well, we look forward to meeting you in, uh, yeah, in Australia Day weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, hopefully you guys will be there, man. Yeah, It'd be great be to there. have you. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. be there. Hopefully awesome, boys. we'll have quite a few of our crew on yeah. the Friday as yeah, well. Yeah, we'll have a lot of our team there on the Friday. Wonderful. Yeah. Grateful to see you, man. Obviously, yeah. come by and say hello, and we'll yeah. we'll definitely chat and maybe get some some beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks, awesome, boys. Thanks, right. Thanks, Thank you very much, Ben. Ciao. Take care, guys. Cheers, Good man. See you, mate. Thank you.